Well, today we are now in the fourth week of the book of Philippians. I'm not sure how we got here this quickly, um, but it's been a great uh a great pleasure for me to be studying the book of Philippians so much. And Philippians, if you remember, um, or if you haven't been here before, Philippians is a letter that was written to a healthy church, to a church that was doing well. They were, uh, they were doing the work of God, they were living faithfully. You know, Paul had many great things to commend them for. Um, but both Paul and the Philippian people were also in some pretty tough spots. They were in cultures that were hostile to the gospel. They were facing open opposition. They were even facing persecution. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was in prison. He was in jail. He was awaiting trial. And this trial was not just, would you get a slap on the wrist? But this trial was, do you deserve death? Do you deserve execution? But we see throughout this letter, and we saw last week, that we see Paul is in all these circumstances, Paul is rejoicing because he is seeing the work of God. He's seeing what God is doing. He's seeing that even in the middle of all this garbage that seems to be garbage is not actually so terrible. It is the fact that God is using these really bad circumstances. Paul, God is using Paul's imprisonment for his glory. God is using the fact that Paul is off in prison right now so that other people can come and preach the good news. God is using the fact that Paul is in prison now to preach the good news to these guards and eventually to preach to, to the people of Rome and to these higher up people in Rome. So God is using it for his glory to build up his church. So it's all further evidence of, of what I would say is kind of the central verse of Philippians. Philippians 1.6. I'm confident of this that he, God, Christ, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord as it came to the people of Philippi and it comes to us in Philippians chapter one, starting in verse 27 and we'll read through two, chapter two, verse 18. So he's saying with everything that is happening, with all the challenges that are happening, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now I hear, now here I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the, sacri- uh, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot going on there. I don't know if you noticed that, but there, that, not only was it a long passage, there's just a lot of things that, that Paul is discussing here. Um, and there's a couple really big important verses in there which we aren't even gonna get to touch because otherwise you know, we'll be here for an hour talking about this. Um, but one thing that helped me to study this is I was trying to figure out what, what is Paul trying to communicate here, what is God trying to tell us here, um, was there, there were just a couple things that helped us not be so overwhelming. Um, The first is remembering the central theme, the central idea of Philippians, and that is the central idea is the story of Jesus. It's a story of how he saved us. It's a story of how he is bringing his kingdom to this world through us. But God is well aware that even though he has given us this task of bringing the kingdom to this world, it's not an easy task. We're in a world that back then was not necessarily open to the gospel and today is not necessarily open to the gospel. And while he has given us other people to share the load with us, we don't just go out there on our own. People, if you haven't noticed, are flawed. People are often self-centered. I know this because I am one of those people. So here at the end of chapter one and then at the like kind of the first half of chapter two, we have this mixture. So Paul does what I, what I love when people do is he, he talks about the theoretical, theological, big picture kind of stuff and what God is calling us to. And then he gets down into this very practical stuff and says, okay, here's, here's kind of how we're going to do this. So to put this into phrasing that I've used in this room many times before and in conversations with many of you, um, what God is doing is he's telling us the big plan, telling us how he's gonna do it, and then he says, okay, this is what it's going to look like in your lives, right? This is how it gets played out, this is how it gets acted out in your lives, in our lives. So we're going to jump right into that. Are you familiar with the phrase, I'm assuming many of you are familiar with the phrase, burying the lead? So bearing the lead is this idea of, you know, somebody, if somebody is writing a news story, then, you know, you'll get a paragraph into it before they drop the really big important part of the most important part of the story. Um, 
I looked for an example of this, you know, in the news, and I just, I couldn't find one, because there's just, I can't stand reading the news. Um, and it's weird, but the best example that I could come up with of, of somebody who would bury the lead um, was actually The Simpsons. If you, I know, it's weird. Um, so I watched a lot of The Simpsons when I was in college, and because they had it on at 7 o'clock and 7.30. We'd watch it every night. We'd watch The Simpsons. Um, but something that, that, I don't know if they still do it, but something that The Simpsons used to do is they would start off with one story, and then tangent completely off, you're going, oh, it's going to be about this, and it goes off in a completely different direction that you weren't expecting at all. So you spend like five minutes building this story, and you go, that had almost nothing to do with the rest of the story. Well, thankfully, Paul does not do that. Paul does not bury the lead. Paul gets right into the meat of it, and he gives us the cornerstone of the building right away. Philippians 1.27 says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ whatever happens. Now specifically what Paul is talking about is saying whatever happens to me, whatever happens to you guys, if I get to come and see you even if I die, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he's saying to us is no matter what happens in your life, no matter how great things seem to be going, no, how, no matter how terribly things seem to be going, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now notice it doesn't say Conduct yourselves or live your lives in a manner worthy of God's love. It doesn't say live your lives in a manner good enough to earn your salvation. No, live your lives in a manner worthy of the good news. And the good news is that you are God's beloved children. You are saved by him, not by yourself. So live in a way that reflects that good news or live in a way that reflects that Jesus Christ loves you and gave his life for you. That way of living lays the foundation for what God is doing in us and what God wants to do in us. So you get get the difference there? It's this thing of saying, you cannot earn your salvation. So don't try and live in a way that you're going to earn it because number one, you're going to fail. And that's not actually bringing glory to God, trying to earn your salvation because you're trying to do something he already did that you cannot do. However, he's saying, live in a way realizing that you are saved and that should change the way that you live, all right? Well, then he goes on in Philippians 1, 27, the second half. He says, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. There's a big phrase I want to zero in on right there. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. To strive toward a goal is to work hard. It is to struggle vigorously. It's to give everything that you have to achieve your goal. And you strive after something that you really care about. It's something you sacrifice for. It's something you even agonize over. In my early days of seminary, um, just before Michelle and I got married, um, I used to work for a big corporation. I won't say the name of the corporation, but I used to work for this big corporation, and I spent 11 months there as an hourly employee, and then I did about six months as a supervisor. And almost every employee that I worked with, almost every employee that I supervised, showed up, they punched the clock, they worked as directed, They went home and they collected a paycheck. 
we were not a team. We were not striving together as one. We were showing up and putting in our time. Very little motivation, very little understanding of purpose or commitment. We were just working as we were told to work. Well, I know that big business is important for our economy. Plenty of jobs, technological advancements. But it's been rightfully said that small business is the backbone of America. And I'll give one example, and he's sitting in the room. His wife isn't here with him today, but Gary and Nancy are small business owners, okay? So let's think about that for a little bit. Gary and Nancy know what it means to strive for something, yes? Very much so. Put in long hours, give everything to accomplish the goal. Now, like the church, like in all relationships, like in all things like that, things are not often easy in small businesses. It's difficult. Different opinions on how to achieve those goals. But they are giving blood, sweat, and tears, striving together for the success of their business, for that common goal that they share. <laughs> well done, well done. God's vision for this church, not just the big capital C church, but for this church, is not just that we would be a group of people who happen to worship in the same room once a week. God's vision for us is that we would be the body of Christ in Germantown, Tennessee, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So far, we've seen that the mission of God, the mission that he has for us, is sharing the gospel. And if we have any hope of succeeding, we must strive together as one. Well then, he doesn't only just go on to say, okay, here's what it looks like, here's what to do. He takes it even further and says, okay, why? He gives us further motivation. Philippians 2, 1 to 2. He says, therefore, there's that big turn word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by. And it goes on from there. Last Friday or Saturday, just over a week ago, um, I got a message on Facebook Messenger on my phone. I barely ever get messages on there. And it was a former youth group student of mine from 20 years ago. And I'd heard from him every now and then over, over the past 20 years. And after serving for many years in the United States Air Force flying B-1 bombers, he is now in the Air National Guard and he is learning to fly a C-130. Well, he is out at Little Rock and he's stationed there where he's learning to fly that, he and his wife and their son. And they were coming through town. They were on their way to Nashville to spend the weekend there and they were gonna be coming back through and said, hey, let's get together for coffee. So, so Jeff and I got together with, with his wife and with their son and we were sitting there talking about what they might wanna do when they're passing through Memphis. And they had a, a few different ideas and I said, you know, one thing you really should do when you go downtown is go to one of my favorite places in the world. You go to the Civil Rights Museum. You go to the Lorraine Motel, even if you don't go inside, just go by the Civil Rights Museum. Well, they decided that was something they really wanted to do, and it just so happened that Monday was the day that they went, and Monday was Martin Luther King Day, so a, so a great day to be there. Well, after his visit, 
he posted this message on Facebook. You can see the message, but it's gonna be tiny, so I'll read it to you. King Day 2020. Visit to the National Civil Rights Museum. Standing in front of the balcony where Dr. King was shot was chilling. It's heartbreaking how much further we have to go. Yet so much has changed because people throughout history have stood up and said, no more. Places of memory like this inspire us to be those people. See, that last line is what matters so much. We can celebrate Martin Luther King Day. We can respect the work that Dr. King did. Living in Memphis, we can go down to, to the Civil Rights Museum and we can sit there every day. We can be moved to tears. But we need to do more than just agree that racism is bad and go back to our normal lives. Being there, the truth, the message needs to make a difference. We need to make a difference. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been saved by his grace. We come here and we study his word and we hear his word proclaimed and we sing his praises, but we need to take that next step. If we have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if we have any hope, any comfort from his love, if we have any common sharing in the spirit, if we have any tenderness and compassion, then it needs to make a difference in our lives. And here's where Paul starts to show. Here is where that difference happens. Here is where Paul starts to get very practical and specific. Now as you read the passage, as we listened to it before, you may have heard there were a number of insights that he gave, different things that we can do, different ways of, and patterns of ways that we can live our lives. But I would say the most important concept, the most important way that this is lived out is found in Philippians 2.5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, if we truly want to strive together for the faith of the gospel, not just believe it, but strive for it, if Jesus has made any difference in our lives, it is only going to happen as it should if we have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Now, this seems like one of those easy answers, right? Like when the kids are up front and you say, you know, you know what should we, you ask any question, the answer is Jesus, you know? So it seems very straightforward. You know, if you want to honor God, then, then live like Jesus. But we're not told just to live like Jesus. We're told to think like Jesus, to have the same mindset of Christ. We're called to look at the world from his perspective, see people through his eyes. See, it's great to respect Jesus, to even try to live like he did, but God is calling us to more than just mimicking his actions. I don't have any slides for this, so Tyler, I apologize. I'm going off script for just a moment. Um, but the image that really came to mind to me, I'm shocking, it's a baseball image, um, is, is Jackie Robinson. Okay, so if you, like what, I never played baseball, but I played over the line with my friends, and I remember one of the big um, baseball players when I was growing up was, uh, oh my gosh, what was his name? He played Babe Ruth. <laughs> John, I'm like, I'm like seven years older than you, hush. Um, so Will Clark was a guy's name. You remember, you remember Will Clark, Giants back in the day? So, 
went to Mississippi State, little did I know. So, so Will Clark had this very particular batting stance. I think he kind of like held his bat up really high. And then, so we would do that kind of like we're, we're imitating Will Clark to look, you know, like to hit like he could. Guess what? I couldn't hit anywhere near to what Will Clark could do. But it was interesting, with, with Jackie Robinson, you know, he would have these things that he would do. He would rub dirt on his hands and he'd have different things he would do. And kids would start to mimic his behavior and it was, and it was neat. They would never really become him. But if you really wanted to mimic who he is and learn from him and actually be more like Jackie Robinson, being a great ball player was only a small part of what made Jackie Robinson so great. He was a fantastic, amazing ball player. But it was his heart and it was what he did and it was what he believed and it was the way that he lived his life. And it's the same with Jesus. We can do all these things, we can be nice to people and, and we can care for the poor and all these things that are great and that are important. But what we are called to is not just mimic his behavior, not just look like him, not just do some of the things that he did. Move beyond what would Jesus do. But to have the heart and the mindset of Christ Jesus. The passage that we read today has a lot of what we would call practical theology, right? So there's, there's these great um, applicable that's the way to pronounce it. Great applicable things that are in there. It's saying, okay, here's great stuff to learn and here's how to live that out. Great ways to live a life that glorifies God and shares the gospel. But then right in the middle of it, did you notice there's kind of this break and it goes into like a poem and it goes into this thing about Jesus and it's, and it's a little interesting how, how Paul did it. Now we're going to look more specifically at that poem next week because it tells us all about Jesus. It tells about who he is, it tells about what he did, it tells about like the glory of God, all these amazing things. So we're gonna talk about that further next week. But I wanna look at just a little part of it right now, the first half. Philippians 2, six through eight says, it's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Another translation would say um, something to be clung to or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant or even a slave, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you look throughout the Gospels and you see all these amazing things that Jesus did. But if we want to know what it means to have the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ, we find it in these verses. Well, there are three core ideas of what it means to have the heart of Jesus Christ, to have the mind of Jesus Christ that I see here. The first is sacrifice. Now, if you look, the most prominent symbol in this room is, is the cross. The cross symbolizes, it reminds us of the great sacrifice that was made for us when Jesus died a horrific death. Although you and I may never be called to die for our friends, we are called to die daily to our own desires, to instead seek the blessing of others and to work in God's kingdom. Well, if the first is sacrifice, the second is obedience to God. Now, throughout his life, you look at the story of Jesus, you look at what Jesus did, and it talks about why he did certain things. He was always doing things at the will of the Father. He was always living in obedience to God. It was that obedience 
and that trust in his father that brought him to earth and what we celebrate as Christmas. It brought him to feed the hungry and heal the sick. It ultimately led him to the cross on Good Friday. If we truly wish to do the work of Jesus, if we truly wish to have the heart of Jesus, like Christ, we too must live in obedience to God and to his word. Well, the final and possibly most important or overarching idea is humility. But you notice even before the word humble or humility was even put down on the page, we read that though Jesus was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Now, I think we have a bit of a misunderstanding in our world of what humility means. Humility is not feebly acknowledging some meager place in society. It is not trashing ourselves and saying that we have an utter lack of value. Look at Jesus. Jesus is the very son of God. Jesus is the creator of all things. But in humility, he took the position of a slave. Because of his great love for us and in obedience to his father, Jesus Christ, almighty God, creator of all things, stepped down. He humbled himself to be born as a baby to a poor family. He was spat upon, slapped in the face, called a liar and a blasphemer publicly flogged and hung on a cross to die. But why? Because in humility, he valued you and he valued me above himself. Not looking to his own interests, but to yours and to mine. So when Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's no throwaway statement. There's depth, there's challenge to it. It's, it's a difficult thing. You know, we look at, we look at Philippians and as I've been reading and, and reading through and looking at Philippians, it's, it's been this beautiful thing of, of encouragement and joy and rejoicing and all these great things and he's, he's telling them how great of a job they're doing. And then he says, if you want to really bring God glory, if you really want to live the life that he is calling you to live, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In Matthew 28, we have what we call the Great Commission. Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. This is truly a monumental task. But thankfully, it is one that God has prepared us for. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us. He has given us his word to guide us. He has given us the church, this church, our brothers and our sisters in Christ to be our partners in ministry. 
as we read in Philippians, as we read throughout scripture, as we look at our lives, we realize that God can and will do great things through us. But that comes when we are striving together as one. That happens by his power, not our power. What we do is we humbly submit to him. He draws us together. It happens as we see the world, as we see ourselves, as we see one another through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I have to admit that I don't pray that very often. I don't live that very often. Lord, too often I see the problems in this world, I see what I view as problems in my own life just through my own eyes. Too often I look at things and and things seem too overwhelming and people are frustrating and I'm frustrating and I don't look through your eyes. Father, like your son did, Lord, help me, help us to live lives of sacrifice, to live lives looking to bless other people and not ourselves. Help us to live in obedience to you and to your word. Lord, help us to read your word. Help us to pray. Lord, help us to live in humility. Help us to serve together. Help us to strive together, to not just sit back and watch other people do things, but to recognize that you've called every single one of us, everyone in this room, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, use us for your purposes. Lord, we know that you have begun a great work in us and you will see it through. Lord, make us more like you. Open our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.